Back when I was in college, I took a class on missions and evangelism. And for some of you who are crown, crown students, you may know what I'm talking about. And my professor taught us how to, do, how to do evangelism in this class. And the way he did that was by giving us a series of questions that we were to, that we were to ask another person in order to spark up a spiritual conversation. And one of the questions that he gave us stood out above the others. And that question is, who is Jesus to you? The question, who is Jesus to you? And the reason this was such an, is such an important question, and, and the reason this question stood out to me most, is because, is because heaven and hell hang in the balance on this question. And the response that you receive from that person will tell you where they stand with God. You'll have a good understanding of where they are. And in the world we live in today, there are differing opinions over who Jesus is. Over a billion Muslims in the world believe that Jesus was one of Allah's prophets. Millions of Jews believe that Jesus was one of many false messiahs who claimed to be the Christ, but then he died, and it proved that he wasn't who he said he was. There are many in the academic world and secularists who believe that Jesus was a good man, that he was a good teacher, kind of like Gandhi, who we can learn from. And there are other views I can mention as well, but I'll stop right there. The Bible makes a much different claim as to who Jesus is. We just celebrated Christmas, which celebrates God taking on flesh. The Bible claims that Jesus is God incarnate. It it claims that he is the only Savior of the world. It claims that he is equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit, that he is the second person of the Trinity. And it claims that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy you forever. And our text this morning makes that claim, that Jesus can satisfy you forever. So turn in a Bible with me to John chapter 7. And if you're using a Red Pew Bible, it's on pages 892 and 893. Before we went through the Advent series, which we did over the last several weeks, we were going through a series on John. And so if you can remember that far back, we're we're jumping right back in today. And the last sermon that was preached from our series on John was on John chapter 6, where Pastor Dave took us through the feeding of the 5,000. And in this chapter, Jesus claims to be the bread of life that came down from heaven. And today we pick up in John 7, where Jesus is teaching at the Feast of Booths. But before we jump into our text, I'm going to explain to you the significance of the Feast of Booths. Uh, Another name for the Feast of Booths is the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, This was a feast that took place in Jerusalem, and Jewish historian Josephus from the first century said that this was the most important of all Jewish feasts. And it lasted one week, and all the Jews from all over the place flocked to Jerusalem for this feast. And they would stay in tents or or tabernacles. And they did that because it, it represented the time 
in the Old Testament where Moses and the Israelites were in the wilderness and they stayed in tents. And so that's why it's called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And the feast celebrated the Israelites being provided water in the wilderness. You remember that account where Moses struck the rock and water came out? Of course, when, they're in, when, they're, when they were in the desert, they needed water, and the Lord provided this water to them. And the feast also looked ahead to the future spiritual blessings that the Lord would provide to the Israelites. And so this is what the Feast of Tabernacles was all about. So look with me at the text. I'm going to start off by reading the first 13 verses, and then we'll go from there. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, he is leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly. In these verses, we see that Jesus' brothers did not believe in him at this point. It appears that eventually they did come to believe in him, but at this point they did not. And they wanted Jesus to perform miracles in order that he could display himself to the world, to make even a bigger name for himself. And we also see that Jesus would not go up to the feast with them because the Jews were trying to kill him. And this is one, of the, one thing we see throughout the book of John, that the Jews are on this quest to kill Jesus. And so you might wonder, why is it that the Jews were trying to kill Jesus? And, I, and the next portion in our text explains that. So, so look with me again at verses 14 through 24. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, 
so that the law of Moses may not be broken. Are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So what we see here is that Jesus is referring to the account where he healed the lame man. Remember that back in chapter 5? There's a man who cannot walk. Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. And this really annoyed the Jews. And the Jews thought that this act that Jesus committed was worthy of, of death, possibly. But it primarily just annoyed them. But what sent them over the top was the claims that Jesus was making in that chapter in John 5. Because Jesus claims to be the Son of God. John 5.18 explains the true reason why the Jews were trying to, to kill Jesus. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So this verse explains it clearly, why the Jews were trying to kill him. They were annoyed that he was healing people on the Sabbath, and Jesus did that intentionally in order to to point out the real problem, the Pharisees. These were people who followed the small parts of the law, but they were dark in their hearts. So as Jesus teaches at the feast here, the people are contemplating who Jesus is. So the Jews are trying to kill him. And as Jesus teaches at this feast, the Jews are contemplating, who is he? Who is this man? And they're wondering what to do with him. And I'm going I'm to show you this theme throughout the chap- this chapter in John that the people continue to contemplate who he is. Who he is. And the same, de- the, the same decision of who Jesus is is the same decision that you face today. And this is the most important decision of your life. And this is point one this morning. What you decide about Jesus is the most important choice facing you in your life. What you decide about Jesus is the most important choice facing you in your life. Do you realize how many decisions you make on a daily basis? This morning, you've already made many decisions, and most of them you don't even think about. I found a stat that said that we make 612 decisions on average every single day. This adds up to 4,900 decisions a week and 255,000 decisions every single year. So you make a lot of decisions. Now most of these decisions that you have made in your life and that you are continuing to make are very small But you have had to make many important ones in your life. And and you can even think back to some decisions you possibly have had to make. You know, some decisions are far bigger than others. You know, some of you had a hard time deciding where you were going to go to college. You visited multiple schools and you finally chose one. It It was a big decision and it was a difficult decision. Who to marry? That's a very important decision. And that's a big decision that that many of you have faced in your life, what career path you are going to take. And for those of you who are parents, you make difficult decisions for your children all the time. You're looking out for their best interests, and you wrestle with these decisions that you have to make. 
And for those of you who have parents who are older now and who no longer can care for themselves, you make difficult decisions for them as well. So during your life, you make difficult and important decisions, and this is going to continue. But all of these decisions pale in comparison to what you decide about Jesus. The, The decision you make about Jesus has spiritual consequences. Its effects go into eternity. And throughout this chapter, the Jews are faced with this decision, the same one that's facing you here today. And they are contemplating whether to believe he is who he says he is. And so let me show you here from the text that this is clear, that they're deciding who he is. The Jews, uh, verse 11 and 12, I'm looking at first here. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man. Others said, No. He is leading people astray. So we see here, the Jews are contemplating who he is. In verses 25 through 27, some of the Jews begin to speculate that he is the Christ. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So we see here, some are beginning to believe that he is the Christ. The long-awaited Messiah that the Old Testament prophesied about. And some are, are saying, nope, this can't be him. They're wrestling with who he is. In verse 31... Some believe in him after Jesus claims to be sent from God. In verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And what is the Jews' response? We see their response in verse 31. Yet many of the people believed in him, They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? So some of the Jews are convinced he is the Christ. He is the one we've been waiting for, and we believe in him. Now in verse 32, the crowd continues to contemplate who Jesus is, and the Jewish leaders are confused by his claims. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. So the Jews are deciding, Who is Jesus and the Pharisees are confused about him. And so the, I pose the question to you that I, that I posed at the, begin, at the beginning Who is Jesus to you? Just a man from history or the one who can satisfy you forever? This is the choice that they are facing. And then in verses 37 through 39, Jesus is grabbing from Old Testament texts and he's claiming to be the fulfillment of these passages in the Old Testament. And I'm going to get to that in point two, so hold on for a second. 
But let's first look at the people continuing to contemplate him. In verses 40 through 44, the people heard that Jesus, what Jesus was saying about the Old Testament, that he was a fulfillment, and this is what they do. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this, is, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. So up to this point, we have seen a great division among the Jews over who Jesus is. And in every circumstance up to this point, it's the common people who are muttering about who Jesus is. It's the average Jew who goes to the temple, who worships the Lord. And they're they're wrestling with, who is he? But what we're going to see here in the last eight verses is that it's actually some of the more distinguished Jewish people who are beginning to wonder who Jesus is. Not just the common people, but, but the distinguished ones as well. And it begins with the Jewish officers who were sent out in verse 32 by the chief priests and Pharisees. Verse 32 says, The Pharisees heard the crowds muttering. And the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. So these officers are sent out, and the officers come back. And this is what they say in verses 45 through 49. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So these, these are Jewish officers. These are people who know the Jewish law. They know the Old Testament. And now they're deciding what to do with Jesus. So even the officers are being swayed. They were sent on a mission to arrest him. And they come back and they say, There's no way we can arrest this man. Have you heard him talk? No one ever spoke like this man. And then the most significant person of all in this chapter begins to be swayed by Jesus. And that is Nicodemus. You you remember Nicodemus from earlier in our series on John? John chapter 3. He's the one who has the conversation with Jesus about the new birth. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? And so at that point, Nicodemus he was not a believer, but he was, he was beginning to get interest. And here we see his interest again. For verses, verse 50, 50 through 52. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So the Pharisees are annoyed with one of their own. Now the Pharisees throughout this chapter, they're seeking to kill Jesus. And are they, do they want to deliver him before a judge? No. They're trying to kill him with, with their own hands. They don't want to try him first. They want to kill him right then and there. But Nicodemus is saying, no, he, he deserves a hearing. You know, so you can start to see Nicodemus is starting to be swayed towards Christ here. He's deciding who he is. And this is the same decision that faces you. And what we do know is that Nicodemus became a believer later on in the story. In John chapter 19, verse 39, 
Do you remember the two people who carried Jesus off the cross? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They both carried Jesus off the cross and take him to the tomb and lay him there. So Nicodemus was convinced that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And they believed in him. And he believed in him. And so have you ever wondered how you can know that you have received Jesus? Now this, this, is, this is what point two is going to get after in our sermon this morning. And Jesus claims that you can know by the Spirit's work in your life. And this is point two. You know that you have received Jesus if his spirit is flowing from within you. You know that you have received Jesus if his spirit is flowing from within you. So look with me at verses 37 through 39. This is really the heartbeat of the entire passage, these three verses. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, in these verses, Jesus is grabbing from these Old Testament texts the very passages that the Jews were looking at. And this was the, this was the very reason that they were celebrating this feast, is because they were anticipating certain passages from the Old Testament being fulfilled. And Jesus makes this quote here, and they know exactly what he is referring to. And the last day of the Feast of Booths was the most important day of the feast. On this final day, the Jews performed a ceremony that involved water. And this is why Jesus makes a reference to water in these verses. On the final day of the feast, water was taken to the pool of Siloam and brought to the high priest at the temple. As the water was carried to the temple, a ceremony was performed where the water was poured out before the Lord. And this was done as an act of faithfulness to the Lord. And as I mentioned earlier, the, pur- the purpose of the feast was to remember God's provision of the Israelites when they were in the desert, where Moses struck the rock, the water comes out, and, the- and their thirst is satisfied. And the other purpose was to look forward to the spiritual blessing of the Lord, where he would send a different kind of water. In the Old Testament, he sends physical water that would satisfy their thirst. In the New Testament here, what we see is that he is sending living water to Israel. So physical water to living water. The water signified that the Lord would cause spiritual rains to shower over them during the Messianic age. And, and if you know anything about Jewish, the Jewish hope that they had, the longing that they had, they looked forward that a Messiah would come And they look forward to a time where he would restore the kingdom to Israel and they would enjoy peace and prosperity on the earth where the Messiah would rule over them. So this is the anticipation that they had. And Jesus is fulfilling some of these passages. I'm going to quote a few of the passages that he's fulfilling. Ezekiel 47.9 says that wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live and there will be very many fish For this water goes there, that the water of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live 
where the river goes. And this is talking about the future temple that the Jews were anticipating would be built, where there would be water flowing through it. And this isn't just your normal water. This is living water that gives life to everything that it comes in contact with. And Zechariah predicted that this water would come in, in Zechariah 13.1. On that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. He's pulling from Isaiah 12, 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And Jesus is also claiming to be the fulfillment of the invitation of Isaiah 55, 1, that says, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now in the Old Testament, They didn't know exactly what this meant completely. But Jesus is saying, come to me and and you will listen to Isaiah 55 and you will be satisfied by this thirst that I can offer you. And and you can only find it in me. So everyone is invited to drink these waters and be satisfied. And Jesus is claiming to be the source of these waters. And the water here, as we see in our text, where does it come from? It comes from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Verse 38 says that whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit. So the Spirit is the living water. When you believe in Jesus, you receive the Spirit. You can't receive the Spirit apart from Jesus. That's one point I want to make very clear. You can't say, I want this living water apart from Jesus. It comes only from him. And D.A. Carson, a theologian, said that Jesus insists that he alone can provide the real drink, the satisfying spirit. And this living water, the Holy Spirit, he satisfies your spiritual thirst. Every person on the planet has this longing. Nothing in this world can fulfill us. And we all have this deep inner longing for something more. And what Jesus is saying is that I can satisfy that. Because if you believe in me, I will give you the Spirit. And you will be satisfied forever. This is what Jesus is promising here. This is, this is a major claim. Nobody in the history of the world has made this claim, but he's making this claim. And he's saying, I will do it. And this living water flows from within the one who believes in Jesus. And this is how you know that you truly have believed in Jesus. Is this living water flowing from within you? And this is a water that's like a fountain. John Kelvin described it as a fountain that, where the water just con- continues to be produced and it's never ending. The water never runs out. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming and flowing. And you know what? Could you think of people in your life who have this? I know I can. I, I could, some of you in this church, I, I, I see it with crystal clarity that you have this. You know, sometimes you talk with someone and they can't say two sentences without saying something about Jesus because they're so full of the Spirit. They're so full of this, this living water that, it, that just keeps flowing. Are you one of those people? That's my question to you. Are you one of those people? And if you're not one of those people, I encourage you to be one of those people. Embrace Jesus. Invite him into your life and receive 
this satisfying drink that will satisfy you forever, this living water. And the one who believes in Jesus, this, this is what it will be like for them. Isaiah 58, 11 says that you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Over the past several months, I've actually, I've, as you might expect, I've purchased more flowers in the past several months than I ever had in my life previously. <laughs> and that's because of my, you know, my, my relationship with, with Brianna. And I knew nothing about flowers you know, before this, but I think I knew enough to at least know that if you don't put flowers in water, they're going to die. That's one thing I've learned. Because when I bought her flowers at the beginning, the flowers were dying off pretty soon because, we, because I didn't put them in water. But later on, I learned. Now, if you're a Christian, you're like a flower that is continually watered. You're like a flower that never dies. The water is always there, and the flower never dies. Now, if, if you're not a, a Christian, if you have not trusted in Christ, you're like a flower that's decaying, and you will die, and you will face spiritual death. And so, the only way that you can be satisfied forever, and the only way that you can have spiritual life is through Christ, and through the Spirit, this satisfying drink that he gives you. And the, and the Spirit is the one who sustains you on his end. And on your end, you remain satisfied. So, so you might wonder, why am I always so satisfied with Jesus? Why, why is there nothing in the world that can compare with him? It's because, you know, you know what's happening behind the scene? The Spirit is sustaining you. And on your end, you are satisfied. And it continues, and it never ends. You never get sick of Jesus because the Spirit keeps producing this life in you, this living water. And when Jesus was talking with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, he, he describes this living water. He, remember this conversation that he had with her? He said that everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. This is physical water he's talking about. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus gives this water. He gives the Spirit, and you are satisfied forever. This is the hope that a believer in Christ has. And this is, there's no more amazing hope than this. So is this living water flowing from within you? If these waters are flowing from within you, this is how you know that you have made the right decision concerning Jesus. These people in John 7, they received Jesus and they received this living water and they were satisfied from there on. And, and these people are with the Lord now because they were satisfied then and they're still satisfied today and they will be forever because they chose right. And this is the destiny for many of you who have chosen Christ. And for those of you who have yet to receive Jesus and decided to trust in him, you can have this living water. Just trust him and believe in him and you will have it. So who is Jesus to you? Just a man from history or the one who can satisfy you forever? What you decide about Jesus is the most important choice facing you in your life. And you know that you have received Jesus if his spirit is flowing from within you. Next week, Pastor Dave is going to preach on the woman caught in adultery, John chapter 8. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, what an amazing hope that we have in Jesus. He offers this drink. Uh, Lord, we drink water every day. And we can't go a few weeks without water because we'll die if we don't drink water. And yet, Jesus is promising to give us life forever. This is, not, this is something that physical water can't do, but he offers this living water, the Holy Spirit, and he has entrusted him to all who come to him. What an amazing hope we have. And Lord, we give you praise this morning for these promises. And, and, I, and I pray, Lord, that you would work through your word, that, that what was said in this sermon through this text, that it would plant seeds and that believers would be encouraged and sustained and, and continue to be satisfied and that those who have yet to receive Jesus, Lord, would and that they would drink of this living water and, and be satisfied forever. Just like the people we saw in John 7 who were deciding what to do with Jesus and, and many of them chose right. They believed his claims and these people are so grateful that they did and, and I pray, Lord, that the people here today would do the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.